0: Jesus died on a Friday, and uh, we refer to it as Good Friday. But why do we look back on that day that Jesus died and refer to it as good? You know, I'm sure that most of you have... Uh, had a loved one that you loved dearly that has passed away. And, um, you know, I was very close to my grandmother who lived with us for many years. And uh, I remember the the day that she died. I remember when my parents came home from the hospital to uh, tell myself and my brother and my sister that she died. And, you know, I don't look back on that day and say that was a good day. That wasn't a good day for me. That was a very sad day. Uh, that was a hard day. That was uh, a difficult day. And, you You know, so why, as we look at the death of Jesus, do we as Christians refer to that as Good Friday? Why would his death be good? What was good about his death? And, you know, the thing that was good about Jesus' death is what it accomplished for you and for me. You see, Jesus didn't just die. Uh, he did far more than die. You know, he took your sin. He took my sin. He took the sin of the entire world upon himself and he took the judgment that all of our sins deserve. He paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven instead of spending eternity in hell. So the reason why we as Christians refer to uh, Jesus's death as good, we refer to the day in which he died as Good Friday, is because it was good for us, because Jesus died for our sin. He took the judgment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could spend eternity in heaven. But you know what? There's a lot more that happened on Good Friday that we often overlook. I'm sure that most of you, especially if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're pretty familiar with what Jesus did for us on Good Friday. I'm sure you've sat through services like tonight, where you've listened to what Jesus went through on Good Friday, or or before you partake of communion, you're reminded of what Jesus went through on Good Friday. And so we're familiar with that, but something that we often overlook, something that we often don't think as much about is the good that God the Father did on Good Friday. You see, God the Father sacrificed just as much as Jesus the Son did on Good Friday. Now, the Father's sacrifice was different than Jesus' sacrifice, but it was just as difficult and just as, as important. So tonight, I want us to look at Good Friday from maybe a different perspective than we often do, and that is the perspective of what God the Father sacrificed on Good Friday, what God the Father did for us on Good Friday. And we're also going to look at why He was willing to sacrifice what He did sacrifice for us on Good Friday. And my hope is, as we look at these things, that we're going to have a deeper and fuller understanding of what the entirety of the Godhead did for us, not just Jesus the Son, that we would have a deeper understanding of what God did on Good Friday for you and for me. So let's look at God, uh, Good Friday from the perspective of God the Father and, and what He sacrificed for us. And we're going to start by looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says this, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In these verses, John tells us some of what God the Father did for us there on good Friday, Or as John describes it, how God the Father manifested His love toward you and me. We're told the way that God manifested His love toward us was by sending His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. It was by sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Greek word here translated propitiation means an appeasing whereby something is covered or remitted. So what John is telling us is that God, the father sent his son into the world, ultimately to appease and to cover our sin, to deal with our sin, And that's a message that I'm sure, you know, many of you are very familiar with. It's one that goes all throughout the scriptures. It's one that we focus on a lot here in our church. But what I want us to focus on tonight is that the love that was shown to us wasn't just that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. God the Father also demonstrates love to us in a very important and in a very powerful way. Now, oftentimes we don't really take the time to think about what it would have been like for the father to give his son. And so tonight I want us to try to imagine what it would have been like for the father to give his son, to sacrifice his son for the sins of the world. And to help us imagine this, I want you to picture the person that you love the most in life. It could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your parents, could be your best friend. You know, I want you to have that person right now in your mind thinking of that person that you love most in this life. And then I want you to ask yourself a very important question. Would you be willing to send that person that you love more than anyone to die for someone else? Uh, Would you be willing to send your spouse or your child or your parent, or your best friend to die for someone else? You know, I asked myself that question, you know, would I be willing to have Jenny or Scarlett or Eden or my parents die for someone else? And and the reality is, no, I, I wouldn't be willing to do that. I'd do anything to protect them. I would personally die in order to protect them, but I wouldn't have them die on behalf of someone else. Now, the purpose of this question was to try and get a better perspective on what the Father did by sending His Son, Jesus, to die for us. But in order to do that, we really need to take our question uh, one step further, and I want you to ask yourself this question would you be willing to send that person that you love to die for someone who hated you, who did horrible things to you, and who was your enemy? Would you be willing to send your spouse or your child or your parent or your best friend to die for your enemy? Once again, I know that I would not personally be willing to send my loved one to die for someone who was... My enemy. Now the question, would you let your loved one die for your enemy really is still not enough to help us understand what God the Father did for us in sending Jesus to die for us who are God's enemies. Because Jesus didn't just die for us, He also took the judgment for our sin that you and I and the rest of this world deserved. And something very important to note is who poured that judgment upon Jesus. The one who poured the judgment of our sin upon Jesus there on the cross was God the Father. So have you ever taken some time to really dwell upon this, to think about the significance of this? You see, we often think of those that contributed to Jesus' suffering. You know, we look at all that he suffered as he was leading up to the cross and the cross itself, and we think of people like the religious leaders who are ultimately behind Jesus getting crucified. We think of Pontius Pilate who condemned Jesus to be crucified and scourged. We think of the Roman soldiers who actually did the beating of Jesus and who mocked him and who placed him on that cross, and they nailed nails through his wrists and through his feet, and and they placed him there. We think of the crowd that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We think of Judas who betrayed him. We think of Peter who denied him three times. But do we think about the father who poured out his judgment upon Jesus? When you think of the suffering that Jesus went through, really, if you look at it from a magnitude standpoint of what would have been the worst of all, as I listed all those things, nothing would come into comparison of what the Father did to cause Jesus to suffer by pouring his judgment upon Jesus. And this opens up a whole new question that we need to ask ourselves. We have pondered, would you let your loved one die for your enemy? But now we need to take that question to a whole nother level. You see, Jesus or God the Father didn't just send Jesus to die for us, his enemies. He also poured out his judgment upon Jesus because of our sin. So I want you to think about this. If you were a judge in our legal system, would you be willing to sentence the person that you love more than anyone for a crime someone else committed. Would you be willing to send the person that you love who is completely innocent, whether that be your spouse or your child or your best friend or your parent or whomever that may be, would you be willing to judge them, to sentence them and enable the one who is guilty to go free? Or maybe even worse than that. Could you be the person who would take the person that you love who is innocent And cause them to be executed in order to let a prisoner who deserves execution to go free. Now this illustration of being a judge, once again, doesn't really do full justice to what God the Father had to do to Jesus the Son. Because the Father wasn't just the judge who condemned Jesus for our sins. He was also the executioner. He wasn't just the one who pronounced judgment and got to walk away. He was the executioner. He was the one who personally delivered the sentence and poured his wrath upon Jesus. So the question I want you to ask yourself is not only would you be willing to sentence the person you love to death so that someone who deserves that death can be set free, but would you be willing to be the executioner And personally deliver the judgment upon your loved one and kill them. Would you willing, be willing to personally deliver a judgment and kill your spouse? Kill your child? Kill your parent? Kill your best friend? I know there's no way that I could do that. I couldn't fathom looking at my kids as the father looked at Jesus, the son and say, yeah, I'm going to pour my wrath. I'm going to be the executioner. I'm going to kill my own child. You know, this illustration still doesn't fully do justice to what the father did to Jesus, because you know what? There's only so much judgment that we can bring upon someone. There's only so much we can do. We could torture them, you know, and then we could ultimately kill them. But really, there's nothing that we can do in any justice system that we have throughout the world for whatever crime that is committed. There's no judgment that we can give to someone that comes anywhere close to the judgment that the Father poured upon Jesus. You see, we don't have... Or we can't even fathom that kind of judgment. Something important for us to understand is when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it wasn't just for ours. He paid the price for the sin of the entire world, of all who have ever lived, of all who are living presently, and all who still will live in the future. So God the Father poured out the judgment of this entire world and all that it deserves upon Jesus. And let's just take a moment to think of some of the horrible sins throughout history that have been committed. I mean, just even in more recent times, you look at someone like Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany and the atrocities that they did on people. You look at even more recently than that, you know, the infamous terrorists, Osama bin Laden and just terrorists who and the, the wickedness and the sin of the things that they do. And sadly, you have pedophiles, and you have murderers, and you have serial killers, and you have rapists, and you have kidnappers, and, and the list goes on and on of just things presently that happen, and they're horrific sins that take place that deserve great judgment. But you know what? I want you to think about back in the time of Noah. Because we're looking at the, the, the time today, but realize Everybody who ever lived had their sin and the judgment of their sin placed upon Jesus. And notice what we're told in Genesis 6, 5 about what it was like back in the times of Noah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. I don't think we can even imagine how horrible and sinful and wicked it was back in the day of Noah. I mean, the wording that is used here is mind-blowing. I mean, we have some pretty wicked, sinful things transpiring today, but nothing that comes to this. Every intent of the thoughts and of their heart was only evil continually. And we can see how evil it was by the response that God had. He floods the whole earth. He kills everybody but Noah, his sons, and their wives, and Noah's wife. Eight people survive. Everybody else gets killed. And we see the judgment of God because of how wicked mankind was. And I can't even fathom the kind of sinfulness and wickedness that was transpiring then. And all we even have to do is just look now at what's going on and see, wow. If the sin of all mankind was placed on one individual and all the judgment that all those sins deserve was placed on one individual, we don't even have the ability to fathom the kind of judgment that that would be. How horrible that would be to have that placed upon you. So we need to understand God the Father poured the judgment for all sins on Jesus. You see, so often we just personalize the cross. And there's nothing wrong with personalizing the cross, but the problem is we sometimes miss the magnitude because we say, oh, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus took the judgment for my sin. And it's good to know that he did that for you, but don't think he only did it for you because it's much bigger than you. He did it for everyone who ever has lived, who is living now, and whoever will live in the future. And when you start to look at the magnitude of that, you start to realize wow, the judgment that came on Jesus is just unfathomable. Something else we can't fathom is how horrible it must have been for God the Father to pour that out. You know, we so often look at Jesus and we look at how horrible it must have been to receive that judgment, which it definitely would have been. But think of how horrible it must have been from the other person of the Trinity, the Father. How horrible it would be to pour that kind of wrath, that kind of judgment on his innocent son. Now, all of the questions that we've been asking to help understand what the father did in sending Jesus to die for us are still not enough. Because something maybe even more difficult than sending your son to die, than pouring the judgment that the world deserves upon him, is what we see right before Jesus dies. In Matthew 27, 46, we're told this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Greek word translated forsaken means to totally abandon, to leave helpless, to utterly forsake. And that is what Jesus is crying out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken, utterly abandoned me? Why would the Father do that? Why would He abandon? Why would He leave Jesus helpless there on the cross? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, something we need to understand about our sin is that our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. Well, Jesus, he was sinless. But on the cross, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. In the fact that he took Your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world upon himself. And it was at that moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It happened at the moment that Jesus took our sin upon himself. And the result of that sin was a separation from the father for the first time in all of eternity. And Jesus is now crying out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you now separated from me? And I want you to try to imagine how hard it would be to forsake the person you love the most in their greatest time of need. How hard it would be for God the Father to hear the words from his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to ask yourself this question. If the person that you loved the most was being beaten to death and you had the power to stop it, how hard would it be to forsake, to abandon, to leave helpless your loved one and let them die? Yeah, I can't even fathom forsaking my children when they needed me the most especially if I had the power as God the Father did to do something about it. If Scarlet or Eden cried out, Daddy, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? I mean, those words would just haunt me. Those would be just uh, heart-wrenching words to hear that from your children. Why in this moment where I need you the most, are you abandoning me? Are you forsaking me? You see the role that God the Father had on Good Friday wasn't just to send Jesus to the earth to die. It was far more than that. He sent Jesus to die for his enemies. He personally put every sin that each one of us committed onto his sinless son, but much worse than that, he, as the executioner, poured out his wrath that you and I deserve, his judgment that you and I deserve upon his son who was undeserving. And then he had to forsake him because the entire sin of the world was upon Jesus. That's the amazing role that God the Father played on Good Friday. His sacrifice on Good Friday was just as great as Jesus's. And so often we just focus on Jesus and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not trying to you know, diminish anything that Jesus did because it's so significant, but yet we kind of sometimes diminish what the father did or don't really think about what the father did and we don't recognize his sacrifice was as great as Jesus's. And you might even think it was even greater than Jesus's because you know what? For those of you who are parents, you recognize it would be far easier to sacrifice yourself than it would be to sacrifice your kids. It would be way easier for me to say, I'll die. I'll go through all that suffering. I'll take all that wrath upon myself. I'll deal with all of this so that my child doesn't have to deal with that. But to say, I get to step back and not have that hit me and yet I have to allow my child to experience that, allow my child to suffer through that, allow my child to die, that's far worse. A far greater suffering. And so you could actually say that the father's suffering and sacrifice was even greater than the son's. So we don't want to diminish what the father did on Good Friday. Well, this leads us to ask a very important question. Why would the father do that to his only son? I'm sure as as I've been honest with you, I'm sure that you have been honest with yourself and you would say, I wouldn't do that to my kids. I wouldn't do that to the person that I love, whether it's my spouse or my child or my parent or my best friend. I couldn't do that to them. So why in the world would God the Father do that to Jesus the Son who is far more innocent than any of us, who is far less deserving than any of us to deal and go through all of those things? The answer to that question is because of God's deep and amazing love for you and for me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God the Father willingly poured His wrath upon His Son because He loves us more than we can possibly comprehend. You know, Something important for us to understand is that God the Father loves us just as much as God the Son does. And what the father went through on Good Friday, what he chose to do, the sacrifices that he made prove to us how much he loves us. You know, I mentioned many times, you want to know the love that Jesus has? Look at the cross. Well, guess what? You want to know the love the father has? Also, look at the cross and look at his involvement in the cross, which clearly demonstrates his love for you and for me. You know, I think one of the reasons it's so important for us to understand this is because many people who are believers have this mindset that Jesus is the loving God of the New Testament, and God the Father is the angry, unloving God of the Old Testament. You know, the Father just wants to strike you down. The Father just wants to bring judgment upon you. And it's only Jesus who's the loving one, but the Father is the unloving one. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. It's completely wrong. The Father is just as loving as the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son. You see, all three parts of the, uh, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says God, speaking of all three of those, is love equally. They're all equally love. It's not like, well, Jesus is the representation of that and the other two aren't. No, they all are love. It's all part of the character and nature of each part of the Trinity. And so God is love and he demonstrated that love through sending his son to die for our sins and through the son being willing to come to this earth and give his life for our sins. And so as we take time tonight on Good Friday to remember what was good about that day, Don't just remember what Jesus the Son did on the cross that makes the Friday he died good. Let's also remember what the Father did that makes what he did on Good Friday so good as well. And one of the ways I want us to remember what Jesus and the Father did for us is by following what Jesus tells us to do, and that is take communion in remembrance of what transpired on Good Friday. Now, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he was in the upper room. He was there with his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover feast. Every year, the Jews would celebrate the Passover and, and during the meal, they would eat different things and they would drink different things. Uh, and, and all of this stuff had a very specific meaning. It was pointing to very specific things. And the whole point of the Passover was to remind them of what God did to deliver the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And one of the most significant parts of the Passover was remembering how God protected them from the 10th plague, the most significant plague, the most horrible plague, which was the killing of the firstborn. And the way in which God protected them was they had to take a lamb And they had to kill that lamb without blemish. And they had to put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel of their house. And anyone in that house that was covered by the blood of the lamb, when the angel of death came, he would pass over and not pour the judgment of God upon those in the house, which is why it's referred to Passover and why they're remembering that specific plague and how God delivered him them from the great judgment of death in that plague. And so Jesus is with his disciples. They're about to celebrate the Passover. The disciples from little boys would have celebrated this every year. And so they would have had a, a very known expectation of what Jesus was going to say and do. They would have been expecting him to pointing everything back to how God delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt and looking at the Passover and all that I just referred to. But then Jesus doesn't do that. He takes the elements that the disciples would have been familiar with and he tells them they now have a new meaning. Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. What Jesus says here to the disciples was not the normal thing that would be said during this portion of the Passover feast. When the bread was lifted up at the Passover, the head of the meal, who was Jesus, would have said this, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. Now, everything in the Passover meal that was eaten had a lot of symbolic meaning. The bitter herbs uh, recalled the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. The salt water that they drank reminded them of the tears that they, were sh- that they shed as they were slaves in Egypt. The lamb reminded them of the blood that protected them from God's judgment. The unleavened bread reminded them of the haste that they needed to leave as God freed them from slavery in Egypt. And now notice uh, Jesus says, this bread is my body, which is given for you, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So Jesus doesn't give the normal explanation of the bread and of the wine, he now brings a new meaning to each of these things for the disciples and now for us to remember. Instead of pointing back to what God did in Egypt, now Jesus is pointing to himself and what he's about to do on the cross. The focus is no longer the suffering of Israel and Egypt. Now the focus is going to be the suffering of Jesus on the cross for the sin of the entire world. Jesus is telling the disciples that the Passover now has a a new meaning, that Jesus is the lamb that's going to be killed. And the bread is symbolic of his body that's going to be crucified on a cross. And the wine is symbolic of his blood that is going to be shed for our sin and open up a new covenant that we can have through Jesus with the Father. It's His death that's going to enable God the Father to pass over our sin and not judge us. But the only way that God the Father can pass over our sin and not judge us is because He judged the Son on our behalf, is because He poured His wrath upon Jesus. That's why He can't, He has the ability to not pour His wrath upon you, and upon me. So I want us to remember what both the Father and the Son did for us on Good Friday by taking communion together. And hopefully you got the email or the text that I sent out uh, encouraging you to prepare those elements before uh, we started this live stream. So hopefully you have those elements right now. But if you don't, you have a little bit of time. Uh, Because before we take part in uh, communion together, I want to show just a clip of a movie. Uh, It was put together. It's called The Bridge. And the whole purpose of this was an evangelistic tool to just share what it would be like and how hard it would be for a father to have to sacrifice his son to save the lives of others. And as that's been kind of the focus of tonight's message of what the father did for us I think leading into communion as we remember both what the son and the father did. I just want to look at this movie clip and then we're going to come back. I'm going to come back up and we'll partake of communion together. But if you haven't got your elements together while this is being shown, I encourage you to do that so you and your family uh, can partake with us uh, when we have that. So let's go ahead. We're going to show this movie clip and then we'll come back up and partake of communion together.